With a robust economy and low inflation, markets and economics are in a complicated era. WealthVest presents the Weekly Bull and Bear, a podcast dedicated to bringing financial professionals the most up-to-date weekly analysis of the trends and developments occurring in capital markets both here and around the world. Listen in as we analyze these developments and shine a light on the events that matter to us. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Drew Dockin. Uh, we are once again back with the weekly Bull and Bear. We've got Tim on the line, and we'll be talking about some of the more pertinent recent talking points, but we'll also touch uh, maybe a couple of items that happened over the last two weeks and give us your thoughts on that. I guess I'd like to start with the market today. Um, right now, we've got the 10-year sitting at around 1.466. At one point earlier this morning, the 30-year dropped to 1.907 which is one of the record lows. Um, dividend yields are up a little bit. We've had some shaky days over the last couple of weeks, but we've also had some rebounds. Uh, and I'd just like to start us off with uh, Tim's thoughts on all that. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the equity market feels like it's making a big, ugly, grinding top. Uh, usually tops are processes and uh, um, you know, volatility increases. You have these big squeezy days back. Um, but all of the all of the things that we've been talking about, I think we've been talking about the right things to focus on when you're watching this market. The dollar keeps grinding higher. That's put certainly putting pressure on earnings growth. So to be, to want to be buying this equity market right now means you really got to make a bet on uh, multiple expansion uh, and uh, except for interest rates continuing to fall there's not a whole lot from a growth outlook obviously that would tell you that multiple should be expanding um, you know the trade war is absolutely going nowhere I think the Chinese have established that they're in control of this thing and they're going to be in control of it through uh, through uh, through the elections um, growth is slowing globally you know 70 percent of global mar of of global economies uh, are running sub 50 uh, PMIs. Uh, so as much as somebody on the left might want to blame Trump and trade wars and so on and and so forth for the for the economy, it really is a global phenomenon. Now we certainly overpromised and underdelivered, uh, but you know all things being relative, the U.S. is still doing okay, but you're going to go in the same direction as the rest of the global economy and the rest of the global economy feels like it's falling into what will probably be a fairly shallow, really slow growth, but not an implosion um, of a recession. Um, so, I, I mean, I, that's where we are and that's what the market is grappling with every single day. Uh, it, it, it strikes me as kind of crazy. Uh, the other thing that, uh, that, that, you know, we move on every Trump uh, comment and every Powell comment, I would say the one thing we've talked a lot about is are we at sort of peak belief in central banks and especially peak belief in the Fed? And I think that what we're seeing right now uh, is some realization that it, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe the Fed it really is powerless at this point. And the last thing I would say on this little summary to start things is, is last week uh, during the whole Jackson Hole thing, non-voting member of the FOMC, Harker, was on CNBC, and he gave a pretty long interview. Maybe it was Bloomberg. Uh, gave a pretty long interview. And the key thing that he said is, look, when you're out there talking to people, uh, you know, spenders, people who, who set CapEx budgets, CEOs, et cetera, nobody's worried about their cost of capital. 
Fed is powerless at this point. The issue that, the, that, that needs to change to bring confidence back is around trade, and are we just frankly way too late in a global economy? And there's just nothing with where the Fed is, where they are, uh, that's going to that's going to affect that. People talk about QT and QE. What difference does it make within within QE? You're buying 10 years, which you just cited at about one and a half. So, I mean, you're pushing on a string at this point. It comes down to demand. It comes down to confidence. It comes down to the global economy. That's my summary. Yeah, well, I mean, when we, we discussed confidence, uh, I mean, this month we did see that consumer sentiment fell um, the Michigan survey to 92.1 this month, so that's down from what was 98.4 in July. Uh, I'm not sure. I think some of the retail data, it seems like, uh, you know, it's, there's less people moving, which usually indicates that there's also going to be less less purchasing on big ticket items, you know, such as whether that's furniture or appliances or even automobiles. Uh, so I think we're seeing some of that. Um, what do you think, Tim? Yeah, no, super mixed. I mean, like you had the conference board, what was the conference board yesterday that looked really strong, whereas Michigan is really weak. I always find the conference board to be high, and I always find that when there's historically a divergence, and you know the charts would bear it out, uh, between Michigan and the conference board, the Michigan and the forward-looking on the Michigan is usually right. You mentioned the other real positive, which was some of the retail earnings. And I think what people miss in that is you've got some just real share winners. Uh, you know, Walmart, Target, Lowe's, those are the winners. But Walmart and Target have also both done a really, really good job, to my surprise. I wouldn't have thought this would have been that attractive to, consum to consumers. But the order ahead and then pick up, it's been a home run for some of these retailers that are taking share. So you look at a retail index, you look at specialty retail, you look at retail across the board, it's ugly. So so, you know, on CNBC or Jim Cramer or anybody or the White House citing retail as being uh, evidence of a stronger consumer is kind of nonsense, because what you're really just seeing is some massive share takers taking more share and putting up better numbers than expected. And you're right to cite durables because autos, uh, housing durables, not showing the light of day. And that bears out with what you see in cash freight, which cash freight is telling you and durable spending is telling you. We're going into a recession. Walmart putting up a good comp doesn't mean a damn thing. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and and then I think even when you look at things that are typically associated with the affluent, you've seen some quarterly declines as well, whether that be uh, Nordstrom and, um, you know, uh, Barney's and some of those numbers. So it will be yeah. curious to see. I yeah. Get, I guess another technical that we're kind of looking at is, uh, I mean, we've talked about the inverted yield curve quite a bit, but there's also been, you know, recently the spread between the five-year treasury yields and then also yep. the yield on five-year tips. That's something to look at as well. Uh, widely watched, we haven't really talked about it too much, but right now the yield on the five-year tips is about 1.37. Um, and then, you know, over the next few years, apparently, you know, analysts say that implies that CPI would be about 1.37%, uh, which is quite a bit away from the Fed's 2% target. Um, so we're even seeing maybe lower amounts of inflation based on this indicator. And then um, I guess what are our thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, look. 
it's just telling you what we're all seeing, which is the economy is slowing and the global economy is slowing. And if the global economy is slowing from here, the trend in inflation is going to be down. I mean, you're starting to see it. Wage growth uh, is starting to slow. Total hours worked uh, has really gotten toppy. Uh, so if housing is 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 really kind of pushing on a string uh, in terms of you've got these much lower interest rates and yet it's not recovering, so you don't have inflation there, the trend to everybody's surprise continues to be that healthcare inflation has been so kind of quiescent. And, uh, you know, labor is starting to soften, If you especially if you look at that hours work series and that massive, massive revision negatively from the BLS on the non-farm payrolls. If anybody listens to this podcast, takes away one take from me, where I've, where I've been consistent, I've been right, is non-farm payrolls is a terrible statistic. It really is. And, you know, you get these revisions much later that show you that the numbers that you got in real time that everybody went into panic over were nonsense. So my only point is the labor numbers are not as good as what they appear. They even appear to be softening global economy that's weakening. That really just adds up to to a slower global economy and less inflation. So, you know, the Fed is, I guess at this point, you would have to say behind on getting lower. But again, I just say, what difference does it make? Right. Yeah, and I guess from that, the time, sorry, sorry, Drew, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And I guess I, that almost brings us to, you know, what's our top guy going to do, right? I mean, um, Jerome the other week said, you know, we're going to act appropriately to sustain this, you know, expansion. Um, Right now we're near a two two percent objective, uh, but there's certainly been you know not all as well. Uh, I mean I know President Trump, you know pretty much put put uh, Powell in league with you know Chairman Xi of China, um, and and there it seems like they're having a really tough time placating some of these some of these issues. Yeah, look, I think Trump is seeing the slowing. He's got, look, Larry Kudlow may say whatever the hell he's got to say to, to appease his master on TV, but he's not an idiot. And uh, behind closed doors, I'm sure people are telling him the reality that, Mr. President, the whole world is slowing, okay? We have a very, very mature economy that's late in the tooth. And by the way, the stimulus that we gave everybody, both on uh, the fiscal and the, cap and, and the capital spending side, uh, the personal and the capital spending side, that's behind us. So we're slowing, and we're slowing a lot. So now the president has to really look for scapegoats, and he's going to blame the media uh, for saying that, uh, look, the media is uh, pulling against us and therefore is causing the weakness in confidence, and, and that in it alone will beget a recession, uh, and he's looking to blame the Fed. Is this, could the Fed have been a little more aggressive? Yeah, I guess so. I continue to just say the same thing, which is what difference does it make? Powell will continue to follow the economic data as it weakens, and he'll continue to weaken. Um, and we'll still sit here with a very low, flat yield curve. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do um, to prop up demand here. But then, you know, internationally, we're looking at – we kind of touched on this on our market update, but it seems like lower projections across the board. Um, I mean, Morgan Stanley's their chief economist, is more or less forecasting if trade es tensions escalate further, you know, if, you know, Europe continues to slow, we might see global growth below, you know, 2.5% in the next three quarters. So, um, yeah. I mean, even if you have, you know, 
tighter financial conditions and, you know, regardless of what central banks are doing, it appears we're kind of going that way. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the whole team at Morgan Stanley is, is top notch. I know Michael Wilson, who's the chief strategist, not the economist, but they're pretty hand in glove together. And I think their interesting view is that you're really going to have a pretty meaningful earnings recession here that, uh, the street, I think, for next year, we're already looking out to 2020, is like at 180 for S&P earnings. They're more like 165 uh, and with downside uh, to, to lower than that. So you're certainly on peaky margins, uh, and they have been right. They've been very good on this thing. And w- the only thing I would disagree with them on is, look, the trade wars hurt China. I'm sure it hurts confidence in China, et cetera. But China is slowing because China is slowing and China has overbuilt. You know, I know we're going to talk about this, uh, but, you know, China is a big black box with a whole lot of leverage in it that people don't really understand. So it's slowing. It's been slowing for a while. You certainly see that with the data coming in from South Korea, Taiwan, uh, Vietnam, et cetera, where exports to China are collapsing. Uh, The Chinese numbers are obviously controlled and manipulated. Uh, But even then, uh, you can't hide the fact that you're slowing in China rapidly. And while the trade wars aren't central to that, it certainly exacerbates the issue. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to China, I mean, I think the new numbers right now, right, we got they're holding debt of over 300 percent of their GDP. That was the first quarter of this year. Um, So there's a lot of hidden debts. Uh, that's, I guess that's the one issue, but then the other thing is we've kicked around this idea where we could declare China and the trade war a national emergency. Um, I know, you know, we talked about, you know, the president talked about how there's intellectual property theft, you know, if that ranges between $300 billion to $500 billion a year, um, you know, some years maybe up to a trillion. I mean, I guess... One, let's let's examine China's debt a little bit and what what that means right now. But but also, what would you know a national emergency for an ongoing trade dispute you know entail? I mean, obviously we talk about them in terms of of, of either hurricanes or um, issues of you know terrorism or, or you know and epidemics uh, that sort of thing. But in terms of you know trade contentions, that seems kind of new to me. Yeah. I think it's going to be hard. I mean, look, the whole argument here has been that if the equity markets really start to fall apart on trade wars, Trump will soften his stance. Um, And I think that is still the case. Uh, But equity markets have really held up better than I think you would have. If somebody gave you, you know, tomorrow's newspaper six months ago or a newspaper six months in the future that told you where trade wars were going, I think we all would have said, I certainly would have said the equity markets would have been a lot weaker. But the equity markets holding up as well as they have, have allowed Trump to continue to move. He, look, he's, he's, he's set the equity markets as his report card on his presidency. So I think it's unlikely he does something even and that's a crazy thing for somebody to say, uh, that he's unlikely to do something even more rash. I, I only think that uh, that he will be somewhat limited if we get a really meaningful drawdown in equity markets because, you know, that hurts his poll numbers. He's running for re-election. Um, he's got advisors away from Peter Navarro who are saying, look, this is not working. The revenues that you claim coming in from tariffs 
aren't there and they're paid their attacks on the U.S. consumer anyway. I just think it's going to be very, very hard for him to stick to his guns uh, and, 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 and declare national emergency uh, to have a really negative impact on equity markets when he's going to be, you know, getting into getting into trying to run for reelection. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the alternative factor is that um, we've seen a lot of, you know, less Sino-U.S. investment, too. I mean, I know The Economist analyzed about 2,400 listed American um, companies across a wide variety of sectors. Um, and kind of in that survey and in that reporting, uh, you know, we have seen capital spending drop, you know, by 1% over the past four quarters uh, compared with last year. So I think, you know, a lot of the issues pertaining to, you know, FDI uh, might also play a factor in either, well, maybe not, you know, creating a, 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 a comprehensive agreement, but at least some kind of stalemate where, you know, we both want to get back to um, some kind of semblance of normality uh, when it comes to our capital markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, Predicting what uh, the president is going to do is essentially impossible, uh, but I do think it's rational to expect uh, that, you know, he's got a survival instinct that as much as he believes in tariffs to his core, if he believes in anything, uh, is that he is, uh, he, he is not going to risk a meltdown in the equity markets over this. And I guess, I mean, while Europe, uh, our trade with Europe's been... You know, we've we've definitely had some issues earlier over the you know last few years. I remember uh, deal was one of the big things in terms of um, you know we cited security risks and that that applied to the Canadians as well. Um, recently, we're trying to boo, uh, boost our beef exports, um, and you know kind of one of the ways we're doing that is we've. I've talked about imposing tariffs on imported vehicles from the EU and Japan. Um, and then we decided to delay the duty for 180 days. That was back in uh, mid-May. Uh, where does that kind of stand? And do you think Europe will fall into this same category of you know, us trying to balance, you know, um, balance our trade? Or, or do you think it's not going to be quite the same issues we see as, as we do with China? Yeah, I, I think I, I think that there's really he's going to have a hard the president's going to find have a hard time again away from Peter Navarro, maybe Lighthizer getting any support within within his administration or within Congress. Don't forget, there's a lot of European auto plants all through red state America. Um, I mean, trying to pick autos as the thing to tariff when it, it, it when when they are globally assembled. Uh, all, every part comes from all over the world. I mean, the car you're driving has parts from everywhere in the world in it. Uh, so it really is a silly area to try to um, try to, uh, to to put to put taxes on. Um, I just don't think there's going to be much will for him to push that issue hard. Uh, his fight has got to be with China. And I think if you look at the stance Europe has taken uh, with the Brits and with the U.S., Overall, it's not one of uh, compromise. So I, I just I, I think that's a fight that if he picks, it's a disaster because I don't think it's going anywhere good for him if he continues to pick. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one of the issues too is we're seeing 
wouldn't be an ideal time if we if we do pursue it right now because I think we've we've talked about quite a bit of a slowdown in some of these major economies, uh, namely Germany right now. Yeah. Um, you know they're contracted you know by 0.1 percent in the previous three months. Uh, we've talked about negative German bonds. Um, yeah. And indeed, you know they get some money back, but at the same time, I think that was one of their worst auctions they've ever had in the bond market. So, you know, negative yield tests then that with mixed success. And it seems like, uh, you know, if the heartland of Europe starts to tanker, it, it, that wouldn't be a great time where we want to pursue some issues we have with in regards to our trade balance. I mean, look, the, the negative rates, look, the Fed creates it, makes it easier for banks to lend money to other banks and keeps interest rates lower, the ECB, any central bank, yet you're, you're trying to make it easier for banks ultimately to get money out into the system. But they are the final, you know, they're that last mile to get the money into the hands of the small businessman or the corporate or, or, or the consumer. Take a look at the stock charts of Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, UBS. It's a disaster. They have no net interest margin. Uh, and then you have a regulatory environment in Europe that's a joke, and it's just very, very hard to make money in banking. You have a sick banking system in Europe. You have a beyond mature economy. The difference between minus 1% and 1% uh, isn't very big, and that's going to be the norm uh, of what you're going to see in Europe, in my opinion. I mean, Germany, to be able to not to grow when you've been, when we are an export economy, enjoying all the tertiary weakness in Europe that allows the euro to be so weak versus uh, the dollar, though you know you're you're, you're hurting versus and, and other dollar-linked uh, uh, currencies, it's kind of sad. It shows you how hard it's going to be for Europe to grow. Yeah, I guess not to get too philosophical about it. I mean, we've talked about you know. We had, we had some great stress tests a couple months back, but I, I guess maybe I'm curious and probably some of our uh, listeners as well is what is inherent in the regulatory structures that make European banks uh, so much weaker, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the big part of it is on consumer. You just, you know, you, you know, we talk about low interest rates in the United States, but at the same time, credit card interest rates are running like 17, 18%. They're running really, really high. You're not able to get the consumer protections, frankly, are much, much higher in Europe. And you are competing against uh, the government, the government, you know, the post banks and so forth. That Those are quasi government entities that are basically running in a nonprofit way. So it's just very hard to make a lot of money on the brokerage side in Europe or on the uh, consumer lending side. Um, and it's just you can't you can't fire people. Um, that's the other just simple big one. You know, there are bank branches in Deutsche Bank where they say they have more employees in the branch than they have co co consumers visiting the branch on a daily basis. I mean, um, so you just have uh, a, in, in, in an industry that has to shrink because of technology. Uh, if you can't take people out. Now you've got the tech spend and the labor cost, and you've got regulatory restrictions from making much of a margin, and then you have negative interest rates that destroy your NIM. Uh, it's just where are you going? None of these companies can out-earn their cost of capital, and their cost of capital is ridiculously low. Got gotcha. you. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it, was, it wasn't too long ago I was actually reading an article about, you know, the initial ATM um, launching, you know, I think that was out of Barclays, but a lot of people thought, you know, that's going to cut back on the need for a lot of tellers, but, but even in those years, I think you saw some, you know, you know banks did not close like people expected. Um, yeah. So that was pretty, then that was even, that was early, you know, very, very early yeah. uh, automation. So, so that's yeah. pretty interesting. All right, Tim. Well, uh, I guess um, what do you think we should be looking at the next few weeks? Uh, I mean, we we just had a bunch of stuff that happened. I mean, we had Jackson Hole, we had G7, um, you know, kind of issues full of fan, fan flare, but also, you know, we kind of delved out some economic issues. I mean, what 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 should we be looking at and seeing what's going to move and shake markets for the next little bit? The president the president i mean you know look that is the biggest variable you know you always kind of have your you know you get all donald rumsfeld on you've got your knowns and your known unknowns and all that so the president is a known unknown he is a known unknowable and look we're deep in it now with china and china uh is looking to escalate china also has hong kong uh on its hands uh the president also has potentially tax returns uh, that could come to light. So the equity markets, all you know, we're, we're kind of, uh, we're, you know, it's, it's August. Uh, we're in a super slow period in terms of other news flow. I think it's all about the president right now. And it's all about, uh, uh, it's all about trade negotiations with China. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, that's kind of been a reoccurring theme over these calls and, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be looking at that in the future. All right, Tim. Well, it was great to have you back after a couple weeks, and uh, have a good one. Thanks for all the listeners. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthVest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthVest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthVest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthVest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.